Accept him whose face is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's face allows him to eat everything, but another man whose face is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another, another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but the man has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Well, I've asked a few questions this morning already about um, different uh, interests that we might have. But uh, what about different views that we have, um, particularly on Christian matters? Let me uh, throw a few questions out for you here, for example. Do you think a Christian should drink alcohol? 
Do you think a Christian parent should smack their child? Do you think a Christian should buy things on a Sunday? Do you think it matters what Christians wear when they come to church? All issues on which I'm sure we'll find a variety of views amongst you, um, some held more strongly than others. And there are many more uh, such questions we could ask. Um, but they're all issues at the end of the day that should not come between us. A key message in this passage that we're looking at this morning from Romans 14 is to accept one another without passing judgment. It is about focusing on the essentials, what we have in common, and it's about building each other up rather than tearing one another down. That's why earlier on in the service we sang the creed, the, uh, the beliefs we have as Christians to emphasise what it is that we have in common. Well, this is the last sermon in the series on grace, and it's appropriate to finish on the grace of accepting one another and building one another up. The first, um, if you're unfamiliar with the, the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters of this book focus on the mercy that God has shown to us. The fact that although we deserve to be punished for our rebellion towards God, his son has taken that punishment for us, they've enabled us to be made right with God. That is the good news of the Gospel. But as you come into chapter 12, there's a change in emphasis. And verse 1 there of chapter 12 starts with the words, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And Paul goes on from there to explain how Christians should dedicate their lives to God in response to the mercy that they have received from him. And one of the ways in which our lives are different is the way in which we relate to, to others. And so chapter 12 describes how we should love one another, how we should use our gifts for the building up of the people of God, as well as how we should love our enemies. Chapter 13 describes how we should love um, or how we should relate to human authorities that have been placed in their position by, by God, and sums up this command to love your neighbour as yourself. As we come to chapter 14, we're given an example of what it means to love one another and how we relate to one another when we have differences of opinions over various things. The key command in this passage is to accept one another without passing judgment. To avoid quarrelling over disputable matters, things of lesser importance. The heading in the uh, NIV translation is the weak and the strong. And probably before we get into the passage, it's important to understand what those two terms mean in this context. Because it's quite different from the way we would use those words in today's society. Talk about somebody today as being a strong person. It usually means they are strong-willed, they are decisive. Of course, that can be another way of describing somebody who's quite stubborn and set in their ways. Likewise, to be weak usually means somebody who is indecisive, decisive, goes along with the crowd, um, has no strong opinions of their own. Well, here it talks about being weak in faith. But it doesn't mean these people are, are easily swayed, prone to temptation, losing their trust in God. The weakness that Paul is getting at here is to do with freedom 
of conscience, the assurance that one's faith allows one to do certain things, knowing that they're accepted by Christ. Now, different views amongst the commentators about who these weak and strong people are that Paul is getting at specifically. Uh, one view is that the weak were, were legalists, those who have not grasped that we are saved by faith, by grace alone. Those who try to keep in favour with God by keeping to certain man-made laws and traditions and became a sort of salvation by good works. Now, I think the reason why that probably is not correct is that uh, Paul would not be so gracious towards such people. And we see that elsewhere in, in the Bible. In Galatians we see that um, uh, Paul is actually attacking that sort of belief because it undermines the doctrine of salvation by grace alone. It's all of what God has done for us not about what we do to earn our salvation. So the more likely interpretation there was that the weak here were probably Jewish Christians, those who were continuing to hold on to their Jewish traditions, their old Jewish ways, particularly in what they could eat, uh, how they should observe the Jewish festivals. And if you remember the... uh, you know the, the Old Testament laws and the purpose of those, um, they were to set apart the nation of Israel as God's chosen nation, the nation through whom God would show his blessing to the rest of the nations of the world. And those laws were ways of um, distinguishing them externally um, as a people who had been set aside by God. And they were traditions which they followed even when they were in exile in Babylon, in a different country. They continued to show that they had a special status with God. But what uh, these Jewish Christians appear to be ignoring now is the fact that Jesus has come. And if we turn back to Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, you'll see what Jesus had to say about this issue. Take a look at Mark 7, verse 14. You've got a church Bible from page 1010. Mark 7, 14. Sam says this. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of the man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For he doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now Paul here is speaking to two different um, people, the Christians coming from a Jewish background, uh, and those from a non-Jewish background, who didn't have this the same uh, traditional baggage, if you like, they were bringing with them. And Paul is trying to reconcile these two groups to help one see where the other one is coming from um, so that together they would glorify God. If you look at the end of uh, chapter 15 there, uh, verse uh, 10 onwards, uh, Paul is um, uh, looking to say to the Gentiles, look, um, I will praise you among the Gentiles or sing hymns to your name. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. They've been incorporated now into the body of Christ. So why then, that is, that is the context, why should we accept one another without passing judgment? Well, there are three reasons I think that come out of this passage. And the first of those 
is that God has accepted us. God has accepted us. Have a look at verse 3. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. The so-called strong who have faith that they can eat anything should not treat those with scruples in this area with contempt. They should not look down on others as having been somehow poorly taught, slow on the uptake. And likewise, the so-called weak who are very careful about what they eat should not be judgmental towards those who are less careful, as if they are somehow less committed in their faith, uh, less slacker in their faith. Both of these attitudes are wrong. Why? Because God has accepted them both. And it's realising that none of us is better than the other according to the Gospel. We are all rebels, we are all those who have rejected God, but we're all those who God has graciously accepted into his family. And in God's eyes, both the weak and the strong belong to his people. Both have understood the Gospel of grace and have accepted that Christ died for their sins. But they may be a different stages in their understanding of how that plays out. So if God has accepted them, who are we to look down on them? That is the message that Paul is getting across here. And to emphasise this common bond, three times he describes them as brothers or brothers or sisters in Christ. They're all those for whom Christ died and should be treated with the highest respect, in higher regard than ourselves. Now what Paul is uh, not doing here is encouraging uh, sort of anything goes attitude towards Christian doctrine or Christian living. In the first 11 chapters, he has set out clearly what Christian doctrine is about. And there are some non-negotiable things in there. Elsewhere, there are clear directions about what sort of behaviour is acceptable for a Christian. There are some things that are clearly wrong. And you can't use this passage to just try and justify that anything goes. To go back to that uh, passage from uh, uh, Mark 7, I'll give you, give you an example of um, how Jesus carries on. So Mark 7, verse 20. Having said Jesus declared all foods clean, he went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, Adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So you can't just say those things are a matter of choice. And part of Christian maturity is discerning what are the primary issues and what are the secondary issues over which we can disagree. As a church, we have a a statement of faith which sets out the the primary issues that we are all in agreement on. Um, But outside these, there are others where we can have different opinions from our brothers and sisters. The question is, what is your attitude towards those who have different views to yourself on some of those issues? It's not just about differences within the church, it's also about differences with Christians from other churches. Now, there will be some churches who do preach a different gospel. 
and we are warned in the Bible about false teaching. But there will be other churches who belong to different denominations who share the same beliefs that we do about um, Jesus Christ and the Gospel. They may have different views about secondary issues, about um, uh, church government, how you make decisions, how you organise yourselves, uh, about the gifts of the Spirit, about types of music, use of liturgy, the roles of women in ministry, or whatever. But we should not judge those who have a different understanding from ourselves. If we share the same faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, who rose again, then let's treat those Christians from other churches with respect and not assume things about them that we do not know. Accept one another because God has accepted us. Well, the second reason why Paul encourages us to accept one another is because we are each accountable to God. We are each accountable to God. Going back to chapter 12 where Paul starts this section, it says in verse 2 there, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, if we're Christians here this morning, we want to have our minds renewed by God's grace. We want to be able to discern what his will is. How we behave in a certain situation, that is pleasing to him. And so going back to chapter 14 and verse 5, it says, One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So we need to pray that God would give us conviction that we are doing what we think is right in his sight. Because everything we are doing as a Christian, we are doing as if it were for the Lord. Look how it continues in verse 6. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. So he gives, gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. We don't decide what we would like to do, then find some way of somehow justifying that. We try and discern what the Lord would have us do by reading his word and then doing it. And ultimately the objective test we have is the word of God. If somebody says, well I have a piece about you know, what I'm doing, I feel it, feel it is right, I feel God has told me that's okay, and it clearly says in scripture that it is wrong, then that sense of peace or conviction cannot have come from God. And in that situation, we have a duty to point that out very graciously to, to our brothers and sisters. After all, we have a concern for one another. We don't want them to go down a false path. However, if we're talking about disputable matters, which are not clear in the Bible, then we have to, to leave it up to them. Because as it says in verse 12, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. He is the judge. We are not the judge. And to be a Christian is to accept Jesus as Lord of our lives and to submit to his authority. Because through his death and resurrection he was made Lord of all. God is the judge. <clears throat> and if we look down on someone, we are suggesting that we are in some way in authority over them, which is not the case. They are responsible to him and not to us. 
And it's in that context that Paul quotes from Isaiah 45, which I read out at the beginning of service, which God proclaims that one day every knee shall bow before him. Every, one day everybody will have to give an account. And on that day we can't, we can't hide behind anybody else. Talked about the uh, tense debate in Parliament this week over the uh, military response to the use of chemical weapons in Syria. And whenever such situations arise, which are never straightforward, the most common response of those against such intervention is that we should not be intervening in the eternal affairs of another country. In short, we should not be acting as international judge. Now, I'm not going to comment on the rightness or wrongness of such a view, but ultimately, those who are guilty of war crimes will one day face the judge, the judge of the earth. They will have to give an account to him. As we will, all will. Maybe not for such horrendous crimes, but uh, for all of our actions and decisions. Well, having explained that we should accept one another because God has accepted us, because we are each accountable to him, Paul goes on to tell us that we should also, not by our action, cause a brother or a sister in Christ to stumble. It is more important to build up than to tear down. Verse 14, Paul uh, <coughs> comes clean about where he stands in the debate about food. Um, he says he's fully persuaded that because of Jesus, no food is unclean anymore. But what is important here is his attitude towards those who have a different view. He says, if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. Because it's a disputable matter, instead of arguing with that person about what is right, instead of provoking them by sitting down next to them and stuffing their face with a burger when they don't eat meat. What do you do? You show grace, don't you? You know when it's right not to do something which you think is okay. Because it says here, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. In other words, love is more important than being right when it comes to disputable matters. One of the questions I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the um, sermon was about alcohol. It's quite a controversial issue amongst Christians. Um, personally, from a biblical viewpoint, I think it's okay for a Christian to drink alcohol in moderation. But I can understand why some Christians will choose not to drink at all. Um, maybe because they see how um, easily it can lead to drunkenness. Maybe because it's associated with a certain lifestyle. And so I wouldn't encourage a Christian who doesn't drink to drink or make them feel uncomfortable. Last year, you remember, we had a team came over from the, uh, the US who were all teetotal. And uh, uh, when we invited them around to our home, we, we didn't have alcohol present. In Romania, it's an issue as well. Christians there don't generally drink alcohol. I remember when I was there a couple of years ago, I was offered a drink by somebody who was sort of on the fringe of the church. And... Um, I declined because I didn't want to cause offence to the other members of that church. Um, subsequently turned out this guy was a bit of a, a troublemaker. was probably trying to cause trouble by precisely what he was doing there. Paul uses some strong language here, doesn't he? He says, do not, by your eating or drinking, destroy someone for whom Christ died. If they're sensitive in their scruples, 
then don't make them feel bad. It's not just about them being offended, it could ruin their relationship with God. If they see Christians behaving in a way which they think is not right, they may become discouraged in their own commitment to him. So what should we do? Well, instead of focusing on the minor issues, focus on the gospel and on God's kingdom. Have a look at verse 17 again, which we had when the uh, children were in. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Being part of the kingdom is knowing the righteousness of God. It's about being at peace with him. It's having a joy in our hearts because we've been accepted by him. It's having a hope for the future. Compared to these amazing riches, our minor differences are just insignificant. They're just not worth spending time on. So let's not lose sight of what it is that holds us together. Let us not focus on what might divide us. Focus on the priorities of the kingdom. Let us therefore, it says here, make every effort to do what leads to peace, and to mutual edification. We want to enjoy peace with one another. We want to build each other up in the faith. And if we're disagreeing about minor issues, then that does not help our unity in Christ. And we'll be distracted from our goal of winning others for Christ. Do not destroy the work of God. Now this um, advice may help us when it comes to individual issues, uh, well, we do need to be gracious towards one another. But what about as a church family? What about when we need together to make a decision about what we do jointly as a church? And it is a secondary issue. Where it's not clear in the Bible, what is the, the right thing to do? What do we do in that situation? Well, what we do as a church, we, we discuss it. We share views about it. We pray for wisdom. Uh, and in those discussions, we should be free to express what we think without any fear of condemnation. Which means unless we are voting on personal appointments, there shouldn't actually be any need for a secret ballot. Because if we don't treat with contempt those who have a different view from our own. All secret ballots do, in many ways, is promote suspicion and distrust. What happens after a decision has been made? Well, we apply the principle from this passage. We accept one another. We, we're not judgmental. We don't harbour grudges. Those who voted for do not condemn those who voted against. And vice versa. We apply the principle from this passage. We accept one another. We're not judgmental. We don't harbour grudges. What if we are not happy, though, with the decision? We have to ask ourselves, is it a primary issue? Is it something to do with the gospel? Will it affect the growth of God's kingdom? And if we think actually it will, then that is a serious issue. And then you've got to think about your whole membership. But I can't think of any such issue during my time uh, here where such a response would be right. If we think, well, I had strong views on this, but actually the decision taken doesn't contradict the teaching of the Bible, it doesn't affect the work of the gospel, then we accept it. Remembering we're part of a family and we continue to use our gifts to serve God and honour him in this place. We don't speak badly of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't do anything that will be divisive or cause them to stumble. 
Paul writes here, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And he could replace that with, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of any secondary issue. Instead, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. If we are a united body, if we are a family looking to build one another up, focusing on the work of the kingdom, then the Lord will bless our work. And that is a very exciting thing. Let's praise him for that. Let's have a moment of quiet just to reflect on what has been said. It may be a time to ask for forgiveness about an attitude that's in your mind. Time to ask for help to focus on these uh, key issues of the kingdom. Moment of quiet and then I'll pray. Father, forgive us where we have not accepted one another, where we have been judgmental, where we may have caused others to stumble. Forgive us and help us to build one another up, help us to accept one another because we have all been accepted by you. And we thank you for your grace that has made that possible. Help us to exercise the same grace in our relationships with one another. Lord, thank you for the joy of being part of your kingdom. Thank you for the righteousness, the peace and the joy in the Holy Spirit. And may we all together enjoy those and focus on the building up of your kingdom, your family, and giving you the glory. Lord, grow us as a church, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.